You're listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Brought to you by windowtothemagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome once again to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. Now, this show is a weekly trip into the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Checking the old countdown clock here, we have six days left before I go back to Disneyland, and before we do our live podcast from the park which should be available on October 8th or 9th. These shows are going to introduce you to a new podcasting term. That would be guerrilla podcasting. Now, most of you probably have never heard that term before, but guerrilla podcasting is a term used to describe a podcast which is created in one take with little or no editing and a minimum of post-production. Basically, what this means is that I'll be going out to the park and I'll be podcasting live from the park. If I mess up, I mess up. Now this should be fun, and it certainly will be a raw, exciting experience for us both. Now this next Friday night at about 10 p.m., as I'm arriving in Anaheim after my six-hour drive, I will be turning on my iRiver and will begin my first show. I plan to start about the time I'm passing the Highway 5, Highway 91 interchange, for those of you who know where that is, which means I'll be just a few minutes from the park. I plan to exit the freeway and drive right into the Mickey and Friends parking structure, then take the tram to the entrance, and then enter Disneyland. At that point, I plan to go down Main Street and pick a ride to go on, and you all will be going with me. I will then go back to the hotel and upload the show for you all to enjoy when you get up on Saturday morning. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? I think it'll be a blast, and I hope you guys will enjoy it as well. Over the following two days, October 8th and 9th, I will be recording many new sound-seeing tours for us to go on during our weekly visits here at the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Okay, so enough about next week. We have a fun show today, and I have just a few things to tell you about before I get to the sounds for this week. As many of you know, Patrick Hurd of Doom Buggy Productions and I are good friends and we partner on a lot of projects, both at Window to the Magic and at his website, DoomBuggyProductions.com. Well, our latest venture is a fun one and will be very exciting to both pin collectors and people mover fans alike. Patrick and I are offering a limited edition pin set of original people mover cars. Now, these high-quality pins measure 1.25 inches each, and we're selling them in sets of four so that you can have your own full people mover train. Neat idea, huh? The pins will be shipped by November 1st, 2005, and will arrive on a custom-created background, which should be suitable for framing. We're only going to be offering 25 sets of these pins, but these are the first in a series of people mover pins that we'll be creating. You should head over to DoomBuggyProductions.com and check them out. There's also a PayPal button there so you can purchase your set right there from the website. 
Another thing I wanted to let you know about is I talked to Patrick about the status of the shipping for the Extinct Attractions Club DVDs, and he said he's making major headway in the backlog. If you're waiting for DVDs from the EAC, be patient, they are coming. The transition of the shipping department moving from California to Oklahoma took a lot of work, but I talk to Patrick all the time and he assures me that he is busting buns on the orders. If you have any questions about your particular order, please contact Patrick by email at extinctshipping at AOL.com. Now, I wouldn't put my name and reputation on the line and say that your DVDs are coming soon unless I was absolutely sure of Patrick. And finally, as I said before, I will be going to Disneyland Resort on Saturday, October 8th. If I see anyone wearing a windowtothemagic.com podcast t-shirt, I will be handing out $5 Disney dollars. So if you're going to be at the park on the 8th, show the world that you're a windowtothemagic.com podcast listener and make yourself obvious, and it might just get you five bucks. And if I see you in Club 33, I will buy you a white chocolate martini or your drink of choice. So remember to wear those tees this next Saturday. Okay, so I was trying to think of what I should play on this show, and I realized that I haven't shared any of my wonderful experience from this last July at the NFFC convention, which was held during the week before Disneyland's 50th birthday. First, let me give you a little background information on the NFFC from their website, which is nffc.org, for those of you who may not be aware of this fantastic group of mega Disney fans. Their website says, The NFFC, National Fantasy Fan Club, the club for Disneyana enthusiasts, is an international, non-profit organization committed to preserving and sharing the rich legacy of Walt Disney. The NFFC provides its worldwide members with news and events geared to enhance their enjoyment of a common focus, the love of all things Disney. Now that sounds like you and I, doesn't it? The primary goal of the NFFC is to spread the magic of Disney. The club achieves this in many ways. Firstly, the NFFC currently publishes a monthly newsletter, the Fantasy Line Express, which includes photos, news, and information on the world of Disney and various club happenings, as well as pages devoted to classified advertising where members can seek to buy, trade, or sell items of Disney memorabilia. Advertising in the classified section is free for members. Secondly, they also have local chapters, where members meet to share their love of Disney with information, stories, experiences, and displays of their collectibles. Lastly, the best way of all to share the magic of Disney is with the annual NFFC Disneyana Conventions. Since 1985, when the NFFC held its first Disneyana Convention, they have been meeting every summer, coinciding with Disneyland's July 17th birthday, to celebrate the wonders of Disney. All members of the club are invited to attend this week-long national convention, which is held in Anaheim, California, as the NFFC plays host to guest speakers from all facets of the Disney company, past, present, and future. In the seminars, NFFC members can meet and talk to Imagineers, animators, entertainers, authors, and artists, 
spanning each of the decades of the company. Some of the social activities during convention week include the NFFC's Luncheon with a Disney Legend, where legends of the Disney Company are honored, a Disney foot rally, book signings and autograph sessions, and a celebration banquet. Also, each January, the NFFC hosts a weekend version with a two-day kickoff. The finale of both the NFFC Disney Anna Convention and the NFFC's kickoff is the world's largest strictly Disney Anna show and sale, featuring hundreds of exhibitor tables buying, selling, and trading. If any or all of this sounds interesting to you, then we invite you to become a member of the NFFC and join in the friendship and fun. You can either complete the process online through their website's membership form at nffc.org, or you can download a printable form and mail it into the club. Either way, yearly membership is $24, 30 Canadian, 40 international, and it includes membership for your whole family. Now my son and I joined the NFFC this year, and we went down to the convention and used the gold package option, which got us into every event, as well as a ton of bonuses. One of the highlights of my time at the convention was a seminar which featured Doug Marsh interviewing Kathy Beaumont and Ex Atencio about their roles as voices in the parks. Apparently, the Voices in the Park seminar is a recurring one, and each year we get to hear the stories of people who actually provided voices for the Disney parks. This one was a fun one for me, as I'm a big fan of Disney voices, and this year's guests did not disappoint. Now, a little disclaimer on this audio. I have the verbal permission of both X and Kathy to use their interview, and I have also asked the NFFC for permission to use it. Although, to be honest with you, they have not given me a final answer as to whether they want me to share these clips with you, and they may want to keep these experiences for the memories of conventioneers only. However, since the window to the magic.com podcast is not charging anything, and because I'm only using it to give them free publicity and to show you all the fun we have at the conventions so you can all join us and meet us next year, I frankly can't imagine that they would have any issue with my sharing this audio with you. However, if you are from the NFFC board and you wish to discuss my use of this audio on the podcast, please feel free to email me at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. I'm still waiting to hear back from Kim Peterson, so Kim, if you want to email me and let me know whether I can continue to promote the club, please do so. So enough disclaimers. Here is the Voices in the Park interview with Exitencio and Kathy Beaumont. All right, if I could have your attention, please. I'm going to introduce a moderator for our next seminar. If you like what you hear, please join the NFFC and tell them that the windowtothemagic.com podcast sent you. Okay, we all... We all know our next moderator, so he really needs no introduction. So here's Mr. Doug Marsh. Thank you, Jay. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here today, and it's a special pleasure for me to be talking to two people that are well known to our longtime conventioners, Kathy Beaumont and Exitencio. Many of you know Kathy as the voice of Wendy and Alice in Wonderland. And of course, X for all of his wonderful contributions to the Walt Disney Studio and 
as the show writer for many of our beloved Disneyland attractions, particularly Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. But today we're going to be talking to them about something with which you might not be familiar, and that is their contributions to Disneyland Park as performers. So I'm going to ask if uh, Kathy and X would go ahead and come on up here and have a seat, and we'll talk a little bit about Kathy Beaumont and X Atencio as performers in Disneyland Park and the Disneyland Re uh, the Disney Resorts. Hello there. I was always taught ladies first, so we're going to go ahead and start with uh, Kathy Beaumont here, and uh, of course, as I said before, Wendy and Alice. Peter Pan was part of the Disneyland uh, uh, Park from the very beginning in 1955. Now, you had recorded dialogue for uh, Wendy in Peter Pan uh, in the early 50s? About um, for Peter Pan, uh, well, first it was Alice, so you know, I was trying to remember all that way back. We started out with um, Alice in Wonderland, and um, I worked probably a good uh, two, three years on that role. When that role was finished, Disney was already in process of developing Peter Pan. And so then when I came back from the publicity tour, when Alice opened, then after that, I started right away working on the voice for Wendy in Peter Pan. So that probably would be in the very, very early 50s. Right, and so uh, as, a, as a performer, I'm sure you were accustomed to doing a project, getting it all done, going out and doing a little publicity tour, and then it was finished. Yes. <laughs> and were you, were, you at all, were you at all surprised when you got a call up to oh. come back and record Wendy? I, I have always felt so blessed that this was a project that has endured and um, grown through the years and that I have had the opportunity to still be part of it all through the years. And it, it's just that wonderful, wonderful feeling to still be part of Disney. Well, yes. Uh, and actually, you are performing every single day so to speak, yes. in, a, in a Disney theme park around the world. And also telling everybody to make sure that they keep their hands and their elbows in and make sure the children are sat during the whole ride, <laughs> because I, I was brought back to do that too, to record that. Okay, well now, now in, in the 1950s, uh, that was pretty much pretty close to when you had finished the film. And then uh, later on, of course, in the early 80s when they did New Tomorrowland, did you record uh, new dialogue for... Uh, for Peter Pan? Yes, and that, that surprised me a lot when I was called to ask if I would um, re-record some of this narration. I thought, yes, but I've got an adult voice now. Is this, is this really going to work? And they said, well, you know, we'll ask you to try and raise your voice a little bit so you sound still childlike. And we can also do something technologically. Maybe we can work it so, so it's quite, but you know, the whole idea was authenticity. And Disney um, liked to use the original voices wherever possible because it did have that ring of authenticity with it. Anyway, so I went in and I started reading my part. A little bit higher, Kathy, a little bit higher. So <laughs> I made my voice a little bit lighter and um, there was hardly anything they had to do. And they said, oh gosh, we really don't need to do that much technologically. It's, it's fine. It's working just great. I think you sound like Alice and Wendy when you are. Uh, when you are speaking. Uh, I, I've heard that uh, some studios have special cameras that make people look younger. Uh, X, is it true that there are special microphones that make people sound younger? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was... Well, that they was did with me, anyway. 
that was, of course, Peter Pan that was in the park from 1955, and of course it's still there today. Alice in Wonderland was added later in 1958, and, uh, and you also came back and recorded dialogue for that original uh, Alice attraction. Yes, right? that was 1983, um, and was asked to do that yeah, for dialogue. The new, for the new Alice. Yes, for the new. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also in 1983, they for the first time added a figure of Alice to the Alice in Wonderland attraction. Walt Disney's original intention was, as you went through the dark rides in Fantasyland, you would imagine that you were the character experiencing everything. But a lot of people didn't quite understand this. They didn't have as big an imagination as Walt Disney had. And they wanted to know, where is Snow White? Where is Alice? So in the 80s, they actually went back and they added in the figures. Mm -hmm. And I understand the Alice figure was taken from, uh, was an extra from the Mickey Mouse review in Walt Disney World. Now, I understand you did not actually record for the Mickey Mouse Review in Walt Disney World, is that correct? No, no, I wasn't part of that. <clears throat> I think that was all singing and that may have been taken may, from the film soundtrack <laughs> yeah, or something probably. like that. But we do hear Kathy in Disneyland Park even outside of those two attractions. And that would be whenever Alice or Wendy perform. And of course Alice performed for nearly 25 years in the Main Street Electrical Parade. That's right. And what was so nice is that I'd get a call uh, during the year when I was still teaching. And, um, oh, well, could you come over and record your voice for the Electric Parade? We need, we, we need a, Mr. Rabbit, wait, or, you know, something of that sort. So I would go in and I would re-record this for the Electric Light Parade. And um, also for Fantasmic, they had a, a show that involve Peter Pan and of course Wendy look out Peter you know that sort of thing so they, they needed me to re-record that part of the voice so I, I happily went in uh, running in after my day's teaching and they'd say well, what time is okay with you okay well, about four o'clock so I would go in at four o'clock and do my little recording on the way home <laughs> so it was a lovely lovely experience I had the best of two worlds because I had my adult career but I also was um, happy to participate in something that I had a wonderful memory of when I was a little girl. I, I did want to mention, if any of you have any questions for Kathy or X, we will have, I believe, a short time afterwards. <laughs> so be thinking about those questions. But uh, thank you so much for sharing those memories of Alice and Wendy. And That's now we're going delightful. to go, go from sweetness and light to dirty old pirates and frightening ghouls with Exitensio and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, which uh, opened, of course, in 1967 in, uh, in uh, New Orleans Square. And uh, now, had you imagined you were going to be a performer in the attractions when you were writing them? No, 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 not at all. I, uh... I, I, I did the, you know, the script and everything, and, and hired wonderful talent to, to record it, uh, Paul Fries and J.P. O'Malley. And uh, when they got through recording, I, and the show started, we found out that we had uh, some places where we needed an, another voice. But I didn't uh, want to bring them back to pick up a couple of lines. Because they were expensive, you know, maybe not. <laughs> so I says, I'll give it a try. So I think the first thing I did was, I'll ask the ratings, you come seek an adventure and solve the old pirates, eh? <laughs> so, so X, you actually, actually, uh, not only did you write 
the script for the attraction that uh, takes us into the world of the Caribbean and plundering pirates, but you also are the very first voice we hear as we start to enter the attraction. So it's really you who, who draw us into the world of Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, did, was, was, was any other voice ever tried for that, or from the very beginning, was it decided, it will be you? From the very beginning, I was saving money. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what do you mean, save money? Well, I, uh, I didn't get paid for that, and uh, after that, I need, you know, incidental voices for d different rides and things. And I started a thing I call uh, No Dough Productions. No Dough Productions. <laughs> was, this, was this in Imagineering? Yeah. That's all the kids at Imagineering. I needed a voice, and I'd uh, have them come in and, and uh, record it. Uh, we had one fellow who had a great, great, great voice. And I said, well, get, get, get him to do this. He didn't work. He got mic fried. In the same way, we had a, a phone operator who was had a real good, good voice, and I says, "Can I get you to come in and do a voice for me?" She gave that mic to him. <laughs> they couldn't get anything. But and some of the other kids that, that you didn't expect to have any talent were very good at, uh, at giving me the the voice that I needed. So uh, uh, no dope prediction, but. Practically all the time I was at Imagineering. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me in the least if hearing about this, they, they would try to revive that perhaps. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, or maybe sue me. <laughs> now, I've heard some of the other Imagineers say that uh, in the beginning at Imagineering, there were very few people who did a whole lot of things. And uh, was, this, was this pretty much just the norm? Because, I mean, today, with the way that, you know, they have regulations and they have bureaucracy and they have everything and it seems like if you want to change the color on the shutters in a building it has to go through three steps of review was it uh, was it a case that you would just sort of say you know I think it would be fun to record this voice or did you have to go through a process in order to do no, that that was at my discretion to say if I, I needed a voice here let's let's do a voice you know and I say okay go you want to try this this line and, and they're all anxious to do it because they were you know say well then, as they go through the ride later on, they say, hey, that, that's my voice. Well, that's my voice. And so they, uh, that was their reward, and it was a good reward. It, it is indeed a reward, and of course a wonderful reward for all of us who get to hear all of these great voices. Uh, also in Pirates, there is at least uh, one other character, and I use the word character in every sense of the word, that I know of that you provide the voice. That's during the auction scene when the, when the auctioneer is uh, trying to get anyone to bid on the Winsome Wench, who is currently available. And uh, I believe you are? I'm a, a pirate on the, on the bridge going over the, over the ride. And he, he says, am I bid six? And your reply is? He, 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 the captain says, what be I offered for this Winsome Wench? And I pop up and say, from six balls a row. <laughs> <laughs> And the captain said, I'm not just fudging for rum, it's gold I'm after. Now, of course, that auctioneer is uh, the very, very famous and very popular Paul Fries. And we hear Paul Fries constantly through the attraction. Did you actually work with him during his recording sessions, working with your script? I did, and uh, Paul was one of those talents to 
wonderful talent. And uh, Paul was a character. He'd come in for a recording session, and I'd spent the first half hour of the session listening to Paul telling me how great he was. <laughs> I knew, I knew he was great. But then I finally said, okay, Paul, let's get with it. And I'd give him the script, and he'd run with it, one, one take. And he would come up with ad-libs and, and nuances that uh, I couldn't have written uh, that for the ride because it, it, he became a pirate and that was, and he was just fantastic. As I say, one take, generally you people work with people, okay, take two, take three, take four, but not Paul. He, that, that first one, that, that was it. And then the other voice was J. Pat O'Malley and he was the same thing. He, his voice was, was uh, these, these were pros, you know, that's, that's why they made a lot of money. And uh, uh, they would, they would give, give me these, these voices uh, and, and I'd always let them go with the, with the script and they didn't have to stick to it word for word because they had come up with little nuances that were, I wouldn't have thought of as a writer. And so they were, they were great. Well, now you mentioned uh, <clears throat> you mentioned little nuances. As a scriptwriter, uh, I imagine I don't know. Some scriptwriters consider their scripts to be like their babies. They're precious. They are absolutely perfect. And then there are some people who recognize that uh, not everyone is going to look upon your child as the most beautiful one that they've ever seen. Did you uh, allow much ad libbing, actual uh, complete changing of dialogue, or did you stick pretty close to the script? Well, stick to to the script, but. But not word for word, because I said, you know, they they could come up with things that, oh, I never thought of saying it that way. But as you say, there's some some writers that, you know, they're falling in love with their own work, so they want to exactly, you know, do it this way, do this. And uh, so I just, I just let let them run with it. That was, that was I was Now, uh, in in Paul Free's recording session, something that I've always been curious to know, did he? Did he come in each time there was a character to record, and did you have a session where you would record just that character, or would he come in and do a selection of characters, different ones at the same time? Uh, one, he, one session, as I recall, and just uh, he'd do the voice, all the voices for the pirate ride, and then uh, he did the, the voices for the haunted mansion, but. Uh, no, you didn't call them back because you had to pay for them every time they came back. <laughs> so, so you would have all the different characters for him, and he would do one after another after another. Right. <clears throat> another attraction I seem to recall hearing Paul Freeze in quite a bit was uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and uh, I believe at one point he actually gets into an argument with himself <laughs> during the course of the uh, 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 dialogue that's going on while the, we're watching the slideshow. Well, the. Uh, that wasn't my show, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, was uh, in 1969, and of course, uh, the Haunted Mansion, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was in 67, and the Haunted Mansion was in 1969. But you actually worked uh, pretty closely with Walt Disney while uh, creating those attractions, correct? Right. And uh, did, uh, did he have any say about uh, the voices that he wanted, and did he have any uh, strong opinions on who he wanted to hear, and, and, and actually about whether you were going to be in it or not? No, uh, that, that was just our discretion, just what voices we wanted. And 
trying to think back. I'm, oh, I'm 85 years old. I'm getting, I'm getting old. Uh, I, uh, but I, things that I can re remember, it, uh, well, the song, you know, after we did the, had the last story meeting, storyboards, and I said to Walt, uh, you know, I think it'd be nice to have a, a song in here. And uh, I kind of had a melody in mind and, and, a, and a lyric, and, and I half sagged and half recited. And uh, he said, uh, why, that's good. He says, uh, get George Bruns to do the music for you. And I thought he was going to say, get the Sherman Brothers to do it, but uh, I did it with, with, the, with, the, uh, with George Bruns. And, uh, and that's how uh, the uh, Yo-Ho song was born. Oh. That was such a success that after every, that, after every show I did, I did the Haunted Mansion next, and I did the Grim Grinning Ghost song. I did the, 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 the other rides, I, I did the same thing, just with, by that time, I kind of had carte blanche on, on adding a song to, to my shows. So, so Walt basically trusted you and felt that what you were doing was working and uh, to, to let you, and gave you your head to run with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Walt was in Canyon and, and recognized some talent in these employees that we didn't know ourselves. Like, you know, he called me over from the studio to do the script for the power ride. I came over to Imagineering, we had Enterprises then, and uh, nobody knew what I was supposed to be doing there. And so finally one day he called and he said, you know, I want you to do the script for the Pirate of the Caribbean. And I had never done any scripting before that. I had done a lot of storyboards and stuff. And so I put on my, my pirate hat, researched a little bit, and, uh, and came up with the first scene. It was that, what that uh, auction scene. So then when I finished that, why, uh, I sent it over to Walt. He says, fine, keep going. So uh, then I, you know, I became a writer and a songwriter and everything and forgot all about being an animator. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Walt Cathy, uh, he actually, uh, I understand, personally selected you as the voice of uh, Alice and Wendy. Yes, he did and was very closely involved in the uh, production of those two films? Yes, he was. Um, I, uh, you know, Disney was looking for an Alice that was pleasing both to American ears and British ears, because it was a British classic and it would be filmed, you know, it would be shown there. And so um, I went to read for the part and then I went again for a second time and lo and behold, I, we got a call to say that uh, Walt wanted me to do the part of Alice. Um, Wendy was a given in a sense because there was another English character, um, a little bit older, and I was going, you know, reaching about that same age. So uh, it was just sort of a perfect situation and uh, Walt wanted me to continue and play the part of Wendy when Alice was over. So I had another unique experience, really, <clears throat> because I managed to have two roles, 
uh, with Disney as opposed to one and as many of the other voices had just the one role and then went on to do other things I did manage to have the one the two roles so that was another nice experience and of course another uh, uh, unique experience that you have is uh, you appeared on the very first Walt Disney Television program. Oh, yes. Which, of course, was One Hour in Wonderland. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, the one I thought you were talking about, the one that was from New York when I was full of the flu. <laughs> and it was in one of those uh, situations. They sent me to New York. It was in the winter, and naturally I caught this bad, bad cold. Lost my voice, practically. And in those days, everything was done in kinescope, so it was live. So there was nothing you could do but just, you know, the show has to go on. And um, I could barely talk. I thought, oh, the only thing I can do is talk my way through these songs. And so I, I did the best I could. Then I got a bit too confident, and then my voice really went towards the end of the song. <laughs> but, um, but no, uh, there were very many opportunities of, uh, you know, participating. And that, that first Christmas program was just wonderful. Um, that was shot at the studio. It was shot right? at the studio. It was shot in the summertime because you had to get everything ready well ahead of time, and um, it was just a lovely experience working with the you know the different people. And, and Walt was part of it. You know, he was the host of the party, and um, uh, just working with him as well as everybody else was lovely. I understand his two daughters are Hans also a crowd of kids. His two daughters were and part of, of it. And of course, Bobby Driscoll. Bobby was Driscoll there. was there, yes, and Hans Conried was the, the mirror. Well, that's right. Hans Conried <laughs> as the uh, the face of the magic mirror. That's right. And uh, Walt uh, Walt seemed a little bit more um, presentational than he got in later years. He got very comfortable in front of the cameras. More comfortable. Um, he felt that he was working with professional actors and that he really wasn't. And um, when we did our scenes together, he even sort of admitted, you know, I'm not really that comfortable with this. <laughs> I hope I'm not going to keep forgetting my lines. And it, that really bothered him, you know, that, uh, that he might fluff the lines and then have to do the takes over. And, uh, and then he became much more at ease as the time went along and he had more experience with doing that kind of thing. But I thought it was interesting because I felt the same about myself and him. <laughs> and he was feeling that way about uh, working with everybody on the set. Well, within, within a few years of the uh, uh, Christmas production, uh, Walt was uh, getting heavily involved in the design and uh, production of the Disneyland, uh, Disneyland Park. And uh, you got the call back to uh, record voices for the uh, Peter Pan attraction. Did you actually see Walt at that time, or was he kind of busy in, uh, in other places on the lot? At that time, he was busy with a lot of other projects. And basically, when we went to record that, it was done at the recording studio area, which was part of Wed Enterprises, which became Imagineering, which was in Glendale. And so I did those recordings there. Um, and he, he was not involved with any of that. He probably oversaw some of it and probably heard some of it and all of that, but no, I did not have contact with him at that time. Uh, X, typically, would Walt listen to the various recordings that were done before they were used, or did he pretty much let you guys uh, install them in the, product, in the attractions? In my case, it was left up to us entirely. And, he did, and of course, Walt died before the ride was finished. So he never did get to see it complete. So uh, uh, I imagine if he had lived, he'd probably been more involved with it. 
Yes, I, I, I know some of you may know this, but others may not be aware of this, but X uh, actually pulled together a great many disparate elements that were, uh, that were out there for the Haunted Mansion attraction that had not been resolved at the time Walt died. And there were probably, what, four or five different treatments for the mansion at that time? Yeah. Uh, they, there were, and I was still in an animation at that time, too, so I don't, I don't know any of the, the details that went on. I know Ken Anderson did a rather detailed uh, version of it that would have had an actual through line, but uh, in the end they decided to go with something more atmospheric and with less of an emphasis on uh, a through line story. Yeah, the Haunted Mansion, they had uh, it was a walkthrough. They'd take a group of people and they'd walk through a scene, uh, maybe 20, 25 people, and then you'd go to another vignette. And, uh, but the trouble was the, the, uh, there was no... Uh, capacity, uh, and we kept Dick doing it at that time, we called it hop-along capacity. <laughs> <laughs> he kept, you know, he kept insisting on moving people through the gutter, and that's when he came up with the, the omnibus. I, I've, I've heard another term that's been used in the parks for uh, large attractions that have the omnimovers, and I believe it's also applied to It's a Small World. Uh, they call them people eaters <laughs> because you can get uh, large numbers of guests inside the attractions at one time and when the park is crowded, if one of those stops suddenly, it throws a large number of people into the park. So uh, Dick Nunes, uh, or Hopalong Nunes, I believe you said, was always looking for another people eater and, uh, and certainly got them with uh, both pirates and uh, a haunted mansion. Uh, of course... Walt could not have given you his final imprimatur on them. I understand he did do a complete ride-through of the mock-up for Pirates of the Caribbean. And was that with all of the voices in place? Yeah, we all recorded, and we had, had the scenes mocked up in the back of the, the, the uh, Imagineering building. And uh, we rigged up a, a little dolly, uh, put a chair on it, push Walt through <laughs> at the same same speed that you know the boats would be moving. And as we came into the uh, the auction scene, I mean that was the first one, uh, and had all the voices working at the same time. And after we got through there and I I kinda apologized to Walt. We can't understand what they're saying, you know, they're they all talking at the same time. And he said, Oh hell, he said it's like going to a pop cocktail party. Tune in on this conversation, tune in on that one. He said, when they come back the next time, they'll see things they never saw before and think we got something new. <laughs> and of course, at that time, too, it uh, required a separate admission each time. So there was the aspect, too, that people would wonder, that, you know, did I miss something? And that way it would get them to buy another ticket and come back again and see things. Well, as we get uh, close to wrapping this up, I do have to ask if, uh, in the course of uh, working on these theme park attractions, if you have any, any particular or fond personal memory that you can recall uh, in the course of doing these recording sessions or in the course of uh, meeting people who have been on the attractions. I, I, I just want to ask very quickly here while I'm giving you a moment to think. How many of you were aware of the fact that it was actually the voice of Wendy and Alice, the original Kathy Beaumont, 
uh, newly recorded for the attractions in uh, Fantasyland. How many of you actually knew that? Of course, Dave Smith knew that. And then how many of you knew that Exitensio? I, I learned just today that he was also, I, I forgot to mention this, in the Haunted Mansion, in the conservatory, there is a poor trapped soul inside the casket. And that is you, isn't it? Let me out of here, let me out of here. So I don't know how many of you are around. Well, do you have any, any final thoughts you would want to share about uh, your theme park experiences with Disney? Well, probably you have m much more than I do because you had so many wonderful involvements with uh, the different projects and everything. Um, mine was basically in a recording room and recording a few things scattered during, you know, over the years. I, d I haven't done anything really in the last couple of years in terms of uh, things for the rides or whatnot. So, but, so that is actually not your voice we're hearing in the Wishes fireworks uh, show? I don't know if there is a, 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 an Alice voice that says anything in the new ride that's um, we, we need to talk to Disney about this if that's the case. <laughs> but anyway, anyway but um, I've had, um, as I said, it, it was mostly those kinds of memories, but uh, I just remember when the Alice ride was revamped and I was invited down for the opening part of it. What a wonderful experience it was seeing this ride again, uh, four minutes instead of two, and actually working with um, the people who were involved with putting it all together. Uh, David Mumford was there and Les Perkins and all these people who just did such a fabulous job in making this new revamped ride so much more realistic and, and so wonderful. And uh, it was a thrilling moment uh, to be participating in that opening. So that is a happy memory for me. And X? Uh, I think one of the funniest things happened with recording the uh, fireworks. Uh, I sent the script to Japan uh, when we did the uh, park over there and uh, for translations. and. Uh, so I got the script back, and the dead men tell no tales. It came back in Japan, there is no mouth on a dead person. <laughs> and I said, that, that doesn't make sense, can't you just say it? Dead men tell no tales? No, we can't translate that, it doesn't, it doesn't translate that. And I says, well, <laughs> your translation just won't work. <laughs> I think uh, we finally settled for, uh, if you're not careful, you may not come back this way again. <laughs> but they would not do dead men tell no day. Well, thank you very much. And I see, yes, we have, we have a few hands here, so I'm going to start right here and speak up nice and loud. Any recordings by Paul Fries that are too blue for Disney? Oh, no, no, no. They, they knew the, the Disney code, and, they, and, and they kept to it. No, that's, uh, I had recorded him also in uh, a, film, a short film we had done, and uh, no, he he knew the Disney way and he kept it. 
Okay, and right here, Donna. For me, it was many, many years. Um, I actually was teaching overseas in 67 when I looked at the newspaper and saw, you know, when he had passed away. Um, I, my, la my memories um, were probably at the time that I was still working on Wendy and Peter Pan, when I last had, you know, visitations with him and seeing him. Just trying to think. I guess I did a uh, adventure through inner space and had a story uh, meeting with him, and uh, I think that was the last uh, last time I, I worked with him. And uh, but after that, I remember the day he he died. He came, John Hanchford and I were in the in my office and talking about you know about Walt and reminiscing and. Uh, of course, they closed the studio at or Imagineering at noon, and we went home. And I was on the 15th of September, and, I, and traditionally that was the day I bought my Christmas tree. And so I went down, went home, and, and on the way home I stopped for a Christmas tree. And uh, when I got home, I sat down in the living room, and it just kind of dawned on me just what what happened that Walt was gone. And I sat there in the, in the dark of the house, and I bawled and bawled. I just could, couldn't get over it, you know. That this wonderful, great man was gone. And I remember getting the Christmas cards and things from all my friends, and they all were like letters of condolence. I mean, people from all over the world, people I'd met during the war in England, and write, wrote me letters. You know, that was the feeling, great, wonderful feeling of having known this. Okay, uh, we have one right here on the aisle. Yeah, uh, my Paul Freese questions I asked already, but uh, <laughs> I feel very fortunate to have grown up as a, as a part of the baby boom and experiencing pirates and the haunted house when we were kids. And uh, we forget, some, at least I did, that uh, people really created those experiences that we had as kids. So I just wanted to personally say thank you for creating a wonderful childhood. And Catherine, you are Wendy and you are Alice, and thank you for being a part of Thank you so much. Uh, I'll take one right here in the center, Kendra. Hi, Ed. Hi, Kendra. How many pirates actually have a name? Where do you come up with these dumb questions? <laughs> <laughs> Trivia. Okay, Carlos, don't be cheeking. <clears throat> but he's not a pirate. He's the mayor of the town. That's his wife is, says that. But uh, when Mark Davis designed the pirates, he, he modeled them after uh, famous pirates. Blackbeard, Bluebeard, and guys like that there. Like the guy in the, in the bombardment scene. Uh, I think was modeled after uh, Blackbeard. But uh, I don't think we had actual, I can't remember names that we might have had, other than Carlos. <laughs> we, we do know the name of the ship, even though the name is never mentioned in the attraction. And that, of course, is the Wicked Witch. Now, where did that name come from? Do you recall? 
No, I, I had nothing to do with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And I think, uh, I think the film, I think Johnny Bench might have got Well, now, I, actually, I recall hearing Wicked Wench many years ago, and uh, I don't know whether that's just urban legend or whether that is uh, within the company or not, but that's the name I've always heard for the uh, pirate ship. Um, got one way in the back of the room. Uh, um, yes, this question is for X. Um, I have a Mr. X, that's my daddy. The question is, were the pre-recorded breakdown spiels, which of course you did for the Haunted Mansion, were they added later or were they original, originally a part of the attraction? No, they're added as, a, as the, the, uh, the ride progressed and we discovered that we needed uh, uh, spiels. Uh, in the Haunted Mansion, the pre-show stuff, I, I wrote uh, at the beginning and uh, I was very fond of what I had written. And uh, when people would go through, they'd be in the, in the holding area there before they go into the stretch room. And I, then they'd start yakking away, and I'd say, hey, let's, let's, there's some good stuff there. <laughs> okay, uh, right over here. Question for Kathy about her <laughs> yeah. teaching career. Yes, I had uh, over 30 years of teaching, and mostly in the primary grades. Thank you. <laughs> it was just a, a wonderful experience for me. I really um, uh, felt gratified at being able to see a change and see the growth and development of children from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and that I had a little contribution in, in doing that. Um, and yes, from time to time, um, things came up about the films, especially when they were re-released or something, and then there would be this flurry of excitement, oh, you know, my teacher, my teacher is this person who played these roles, and then uh, they were in awe for about a day, and then after that it was just back to, oh, that's my teacher. <laughs> I think we have time for about two more. We've got one right here in the front row. Those things all happened after I retired, and uh, so I don't know what they did. I mean, when they when they changed the the scene in uh, the chase scene in the, in the pirate ride, and uh, uh, because it was politically incorrect, and they, so they had to have the have the gals chasing the guys, and so and I said, "Oh, why don't we change the name of the pirates to the Boy Scouts of the Caribbean?" <laughs> Well, it, it looks these, like we have... These were pirates. That's the way they lived. 
Looks like we have one more question right here. And uh, what, what do you have to ask? Are we going to see Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean next? No, but Captain Jack Sparrow spent an awful lot of time in the ride, acquainting himself with the pirates. And uh, I had the pleasure of, of meeting Jack and talking to him about it. Went to the studio one day, they were, they were filming, and, and Jack had to get in his full regalia as he came out. He was as anxious to meet me as I was to meet him. <laughs> and he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And so I'm anxious to see what they come up with the, with the next two, two versions of the Pirates. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> wonderful to know that these attractions will continue on. I mean, here they are already in the 21st century and will continue on for many more years. Let's have another round of applause for Extensio and Kathy Beaumont. Man, those are fun. I had such a blast at the NFFC convention this last July. And again, I encourage you all to visit nffc.org and join. Be sure to introduce yourself to me when you're at the convention. I would love to meet you. We continue to receive some great suggestions that we'll be using in some upcoming shows, and we always like to hear your feedback. Be sure to write us and tell us what you think. Our email address for questions, comments, and suggestions is podcast at windowtothemagic.com. The windowtothemagic.com telephone hotline is 206-984-9886. That's 206-984-WTTM for Window to the Magic. You can use this line if you prefer to call us and leave us a message up to five minutes in length. This is where you call if you want to hear your voice on a future show. As always, if you're downloading these shows manually and you want to make things a lot easier on yourself, just add us to your iTunes or other podcast aggregator software. That way the shows come to you automatically, without any effort from you. Well, that's about enough for this installment of the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Join us next week when I will be podcasting live from Disneyland. This has been windowtothemagic.com podcast number 11. Thanks very much for subscribing and for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the show. We hope you're enjoying yourself, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.